beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Welcome to Light of the Southwest. I'm Amy Cooper, and I've got a couple of really super special guests today. One of them is a very familiar face, <laughs> Pastor Gary Bird, and a face that he brought to GLC, the Reverend Bill Terry with Drusa, the Disaster <laughs> Relief USA. Yes. So how did all that happen? And today we all get to hear how amazing Drusa is and what you guys are doing and all about your men's ministry, everything. Tell us everything. Well, Amy, thank you first of all. Just appreciate the opportunity to be on the show today. Uh, let me just give a real quick recap of my ministry pushing 50 years. Yay! <laughs> uh, he started when he was five. Yeah, he started very young. But uh, I you know, started with the pastoral calling on my life and following that calling, uh, I served as senior pastor both in the state of Virginia and the state of California for 32 years wow. and uh, enjoyed, it's, it's, it is the primary call of my heart, but little did I know that God would have other ways in which I could use my pastoral gift not necessarily pastoring a congregation or a church, but I'd have the opportunity to pastor men and also would be able to use some of that gifting to move into an area that's very close to my heart. We'll talk about that a lot today. And that's about the ministry of Drusa, which is, you, you mentioned is Disaster Relief USA, because I, I work with a lot of men and women, faithful volunteers who have such a heart spirit hearts of compassion and mercy and just and service and service servanthood who just want to be used mm -hmm. they're not they're not asking for a platform they're just asking for a place just give me something to do and uh, this is what mm -hmm. for the last uh, 12 years now I've served a dual role for for our church organization that bases in Oklahoma City as a men's director, but as also national director for disaster relief. Okay, let me wrap my head around this. Yes. It's a church? You have a church? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's, and out of that church... It's, it's has, not a local body. No. It's a, a denomination. Uh, okay. It's IPAC, International Pentecostal Holiness Church. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and he's look at you. Yeah, he, so he, his ministry covers seventeen hundred churches that come together to do disaster relief, uh, to help men discover manhood, 
Uh, okay, now here is one thing that I'm really excited about when it comes to the men's ministry. You know, you if you're paying attention, you will hear a voice of concern that has been being raised over the the lack of uh, respect and honor, really, that's been paid to men as men. Yeah. We're, I, I'm not quite sure how that happened, but all of a sudden, you're nothing, yeah. well, and you're portrayed on TV all the time as the feminists. Yes, the feminist feminist movement yes. is is crept in, and our men are no longer they're they're almost a, many of them afraid to express their manhood because there is so much counterculture. Well, let's counter them. the counterculture, well, shall we? Well, that's what we're yes. doing, and we we join. <laughs> he's doing men. I'm doing knights. Yes, we're we're about getting the men back to being men and, and that's that's a great statement because uh during the past 12 years in having a strong commitment to disciple men mm -hmm. to help men you know uh amy i think men need to understand four things about themselves number one it's an identity issue we're men men need to understand who they are and men also need to understand that the, the, they have a significant role to play. Yes, and you do. can look at it in the church, you can look at it in the family, you look at it in the marriage, you look at it in the in workplace, society. in society. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the purpose of God that, you know, a lot of men are beginning to wake up to the fact that they are discovering that God has a plan for their life. And right. they, th th that plan is meant to be carried out now. And then there's the area of our destiny. And you know, when I teach on destiny, I teach destiny from this standpoint, there's the destiny that you're building then there's the destiny that you're going to leave. But what I want men to understand is don't be so concerned about what they're going to say about you when you're gone. Have some concern about what they think about you now, who you are, that you are, you know, a, a, a loving husband. You are a caring father. You are a spiritual leader. You are a warrior. You are a servant. You, I mean, and on and on. You know, if we were teaching on this today, we could just keep keep going. But uh, well, you're welcome. To do manhood, that. <laughs> manhood, during the years that I've been serving, has really been under attack. It has. And one of the things that I believe, the reason that God has raised up ministry to men, it's huge today. There's a there's a lot of ministry to men going on, a lot of it has just never been really exposed. But uh, the, the ministry to men is so important today, and Gary mentioned that he does what's called a knight's ministry, mm -hmm. uh, a knight's training. I've had the privilege to go through that training, receive my sword. So and, you were knighted. Uh, and all. Yeah, he was, and, he was knighted. But I think what has happened, just let me give you this example. Ministry to men in our church organization is three decades old. 
how old do you think women ministry is? Or how old is ministry to children in the church? Three times, you know, the, the men's ministries that I lead for the International Pentecost Holmes Church, we just recently celebrated 30 years. <laughs> Women's ministries celebrating two and three times that amount of how long they've been around the same with children's ministries. Why it took the church so long to wake up to the fact that we better get very concerned about men and about equipping and training men and helping men understand who they are and what God's plan and God's design is for their life. You know, there's another reason why that is so important. The family unit has broken down so badly. There are so many single mother homes. So you've got all these young boys growing up without that masculine uh, figure in their life to help them understand what, what, what they are to become as a man. Yes. And I can see where, wow, this would have a significant impact. You know, and it's important for the family. It's important for the church. But if we're going to save the nation, if we're going to see America survive, in my way of communicating to men, is the, Jesus, the Word of God tells us that we're to be the head, not the tail, above only and not beneath. And I ask men all the time when I'm teaching nights, how many of you t were taught, how many of you sat in a classroom that said, it's cool to be on top on King of the Mountain? Or did you just by nature know that it was cool to be up on the top? You know, that's something God put in us men. Yes. And you put... I don't care, I read a book a long time ago, probably 35 years ago, and it said you put two horse studs in a pen, and they're going to get a pecking order. Yeah, they are. You get two bulls, any male species, they're going to set an order. Two pigeons will do it too. And, and so what happens is, is we have allowed men to shift that drive of masculinity that says I've I've got to be on the top I've got to fight that's not to walk on each other to get to the top of the ladder in the corporation it's not meant for us to be out here seeing how fast we can get our cars to go how far we can ride our motorcycles how big the fish we caught how big the game we hit we hunted down God intended us to take that masculinity and that desire to be men and chase a lion into a pit on a snowy day. He told us to face a Goliath. Uh, to, um, I mean, I'm getting too wound up here. But oh. I mean, it's, to me, we have, a, we have destroyed masculinity by converting it over to sports and to activities Rather than us, when I ride my motorcycle across America, I do it in less than 50 hours. 47 hours and four minutes later, I leave San Diego. I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Yeah. I'm feeling like I'm one bad guy. Yeah. But it's not so that I can be a bad guy. It's so that I know that I stood against abortion. Yeah. I'm honoring. And, and I'm trying to drive men to the place where that they 
that adrenaline, mm -hmm. that desire inside of us as men is used for something that will save this country, yeah. that will advance the kingdom of God, and will protect the families. If we understand that our role in America as men is not just, a, we've got to get them back to the families. Yeah. And we've got to get this fatherless generation issue resolved, or at least addressed. Yeah. But we, we've got to take it, these men, I have men around me that are great fathers and, and great church leaders, but they're not putting any of that fight for our country, for the kingdom. I'll shut up, but I mean, it's just something that drives me, Bill. Well, we, think, we've got to get these men activated. I think there's two things that I'm hearing you say that I totally agree with, that I have discovered about men. See, men, for so long, men just sat back, just turned the church over to the women and make sure we take care of the children. And men stayed that way for so long. I, I love to tell the story in some of my seminars, I'll, when I, especially when I'm teaching on, uh, uh, you know, the, the need for men to step up. And I, I relate about my first pastorate. And my wife and I, we went to this little country church in the central Virginia mountains. And this is a true story, and people laugh, but it's true. It was a September and it was a beautiful fall morning, and I'm excited because this is my first church, and I'm getting ready to deliver my first sermon. And I don't know nothing about this little country church. I'm just told to go to this church and be the pastor. Pull up in the driveway, there's not many cars there. Go inside, and what a sight. I had 16 adults sitting in the sanctuary waiting for me to come and give the sermon. There were no young people. There were no children. My first service as a new pastor, I've delivered my first sermon to 15 women and one man. And that was the church that, you know, that, that I started in. And I said, wow. <laughs> what is going on here? The Lord was sending you a message right oh, off the bat, wasn't so, he? <laughs> but I, I use that sometimes to talk about that I think men contributed to a lot of that because we sat, we just sat back. We didn't step up. We didn't take authority. We, we didn't take responsibility. We, you know, we just said, I know what my role is. I work. How many men have I, do you think I've heard say, I work a job, I bring home money, I give my family a place to live and food on the table and I clothe them and I educate them. That's what, in other words, that man is trying to convince me that's what he is called to do. And I said, sir, that's your responsibility. That's not, that is not your role and your calling. God has something much higher for you. Two things that men, I've found that men will respond to. Number one, they will respond to a challenge. They will. It's called getting in your face. Yeah. And you know, and I know, there, you run into a little bit of passivity sometime and guy might get offended at you, but for most guys, you can get right in their face. Because men 
men understand that when you challenge them, and men down deep inside are also calls. They're very calls-oriented yep. because they want to be a part. They want to do something, but they've just never been strong enough to just ask for it. In a super, uh, a super strong desire to not let this life end without leaving their mark. That's right. And they don't want their mark erased after they're gone. That's, right. yeah. That's not so much so with women. We just kind of, I mean, I, I'm just one, so I can't speak for all of them. But it's not like it is with men. Well, you know, in the early years of pastoring, if I needed something to be done in the church, and I would mention something, because, you know, you're the pastor, you get up and you ask for some help. We need a, I need a few volunteers this week. This needs to be done. This needs to be done. This needs to be done. <laughs> you know, for every 10 hands go up, it's women. Mm-hmm. And you might get one man, you know. But that's, that was right many, right many years ago. I think we have advanced. We are making, we're, we're making progress. We are seeing more men step up. But I think a lot of it has been because of things like the night's training. I think it's also been what, what I call is, uh, is, is intentional discipleship. It's, in, you know, it's, it's not an option. It's, you know, guys, it's time for us to step up. It's time for us to become that man that you were destined by God to be, not by the church, not by, not by your men's pastor or, or your pastor. This is God's intention for you. You know, Reese, uh, just the other week I was reading uh, in Kings, the, the account in the book of Kings, the last words of David to his son Solomon. They're recorded in the book of Kings. And it just blew me away. I mean, I've read it before, but it just really caught my attention. The last words David speaks to his son is, be strong. And one translation says, Act like a man. Another translation says, be a man. Yeah. That, I mean, I was thinking, if I knew that I was checking out and God blessed my wife and I with two wonderful sons, and if I was checking out and I called my oldest son Greg and my youngest son Rodney around, <laughs> I said, boys, I want to say something to you before I leave. What could what could be better? Boys, be strong and be men or yeah. act like men is one of the one of the translations there. And you know, we we've come through a lot of crisis in the last few years, but we're doing much better. Now we we've got a ways to go, but we're doing much better in really helping men to understand the, God's plan. And we're seeing more men beginning to step up, taking leadership in the home. You know, for many years, if prayers were said with the children, bedside prayers or whatever you want to call them at night, or if the scripture was read, or if the children, who was responsible to get them to Sunday school, for many, for many homes, it was, the, 
it became the role of the mother. Mm-hmm. But today, I'm I'm excited that I'm seeing a lot of change, and I'm seeing a lot of lot of men step up. Uh, okay, now I I would just know yeah. from what I know yeah. that some of those men are going to meet a bit of resistance, even though their wife might be telling you, Pastor, pray for my husband that he be the head of my house, mm-hmm. that he that he take his role. Even though that happens, I know women. Yeah. And we don't like people ruling over us, and we don't like them telling us what to do. And we'll challenge that. So even as that husband and father is trying to step up, and it's a scary thing for him. It's scary. Yes, it is. The wife is there challenging him. What would you say to the women that you know are out there doing that? Well, back off. That's what I'd say to him. Well, yeah. You're going to answer you, the God your, for that. your way of saying back off because it's woman to woman versus my way of backing off. No, I've dealt with that. I've I've dealt I've dealt with that. You know, as a pastor, and I want to tell you that there there's several things going on there. Uh, one of the things is go is going to is just the fact that it's just something that she's not totally willing to surrender. That's right. Because she's done it so long. Not that I'm trying to defend the women, but they also have to deal with the fact of, of men who try to change or who attempt to change and do well for a while and then fall off, fall off the wagon, you know, and things like that. I mean, but where it is genuine, and I know that this man is genuinely, his life is genuinely changed. He is desiring to be and fulfill the design and the role that God has for him. You've raised a, a very important thing, Amy, and I think it takes counsel. I think it takes uh, some of that pastoral understanding but it also takes what is really and that is the design of what scripture has to say and we have to stand on the word of God and 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 you know okay wife this is what the word says for you husband this is what the word says for you children you know I usually like to take them to the Ephesians passage like Ephesians 6 5 those those chapters they deal specifically with the role, the role of the man, the role of the woman, the role, you know, of the children and all that. So it opens up an opportunity to not just feel like you're picking on the woman or just supporting the man, but you begin to see this is what your family, look at your family, see the whole family unit Mm -hmm. of how God, you know, designs that children, you honor your father and mother, you know, the days of your life. Well, you know, when I've seen that and when I've confronted it, mm-hmm. you know, I've had men tell me, well, they come all of a sudden to this knowledge. I'm, I'm the priest of the home, you know, <laughs> and, and I, I yeah. tell them, look, guys, I've been in church all my life and this is a revelation. <laughs> you, be, you better just start serving your family and you find a way you earn that role. You don't get the mm-hmm. title. That's right. right. And, and I think there's too many of them that will get it up here and not learn it through here. And once that I get it across to them, 
that you serve, you take care of them. Once they see you putting down the golf clubs on Saturday and taking care of some things around the house, you, what, what would you like to do today, Carolyn? Or what would you like to do today, children? Once that we start serving them, it's the same as it is in the kingdom. You know, I, I was in a, that Bible college a couple weeks ago, and, and I, was, I went back to my very first preaching Bible. Mm-hmm. And um, King James Version, uh, well, yeah, okay. and it and it was red lettered, you know. I okay. mean, no, multi-colored. I got and you. And so, anyhow, I had written in there the first church growth class I ever attended, and it was out of Luke the twenty-fourth chapter, verse forty-five, and it and it says that we are to preach the four M's. It was the uh, the message, the mandate, the method. And the uh, resource, I forget what the last one was, but it was how you do it. Mm-hmm. And so the first one was the message. Jesus was came, he suffered, he died. That must be the message, okay? Then we're going to proclaim it by preaching. And then the other one was to be a witness, was our method. And so I asked this, and the, the professor was in there, and I asked the question, what does that word witness mean? And the, the professor uh, says out loud, and I wish he had kept his mouth shut. Yeah, you know, because I had to confront it. You know, but he says it means to tell your story. Well, that's not what that means. Yeah, that means to be a martyr. Right. It means to die for the cause. It means to serve. You know, and so that's not a very good message. <laughs> and so you know, I said, well, and I think that same thing, that same principle applies to a man. If he'll die to his desires, die to who he is to take up the mantle of the gospel of the of of the manhood that God designed him to be, then he will fulfill that role in his home. And his family will not just willingly, but lovingly follow him. It's the same way Jesus is yeah. to us. You, you know, another thing, too is we really have to understand uh, for 14 years, you know, as a young, young pastor, I pulled my time working youth camps, directing youth camps. But my wife and I, for 14 years in Virginia, we directed our annual children's camp. And we used to have about 100 kids and... uh, would come every summer. We'd have them for a week. We had a real nice campground and all that. And I really, you know, I got attached to those. I got attached to those kids. And I began to discover that my wife and I, we were, we were models to these kids. Yeah. But we may not have been paying as close of attention as we should have, but we begin to understand that we're role models and these kids were looking up to us and we spent a week with them and in one week you learn a lot about kids but you also learn a lot about their families that's right and i remember one night we were having a prayer time with all the kids each each night we'd have like a little worship service and i'm just down there with the kids and we're just i'm just sitting there you know and maybe they will come over and you know 
Pastor Bill, would you pray for my family? Would you pray for me? But I'll never forget this one kid that came to me one night. And he said, I want you to pray for my daddy. And I said, okay. I says, is there anything? He says, well, he said, I'm confused. He says, the daddy that I see on Sunday at church is not the daddy that is in my in our home and the, the little boy was just you know just so so confused so you know men sometimes you gotta you gotta jerk their chain yeah you know because a lot of guys get what I call somewhat of a super superficial experience uh, where they're on fire for just a little while, but that fire don't last, you know, you know, very long. And we've seen a lot of we've we've seen a lot of that through the years, and where men, you know, kind of have a couple of different roles, just depending on where they where they are. You know, there really is kind of a reason for that. They don't really truly understand that the the talking about leaving your mark on the world I don't think that many all men understand that the most non-erasable mark that they're going to leave on the world isn't their job it isn't their Sunday going to meeting. It's going to be their kids. That's yep. right. Yeah. One of the greatest, greatest Father's Day cards. I still have it. My daughter wrote me. As a matter of fact, she expressed it in front of a group of people the other day. And she said, Dad, you're the same whether you're in the pulpit or whether you're in our living room. Yeah. You know, we recently lost uh, Billy Graham. Yes. Yes. Well, we didn't really lose him. No. Right. But that was one of the single most awesome statements made by his children. Yep. He was the same guy yes. at home as he was out there. And that's got to be the, that's got to be well, the message. You talk, you talk about getting your, just losing it, uh, you know, with social media. And, you know, my children, are like, you know, Brenda, they're all on Facebook, you know. But I... This past Father's Day, my youngest son posted on Facebook, and I read it. He says, I honor my dad today. He says, my best friend, my mentor, and the life that I want to model. That's a, that's a pretty profound statement. And that was me finding it. You understand? I'm just yeah. looking on Facebook, and I come across a post of yeah. my son. Because all the men in the church, they were doing this. You know, they were saying things about their dads. And I said, wow. I said, and, I, and I, I ne I've never said anything to him about it. I talked to my wife about it. Yeah. I said, that's powerful. I said, but 
that's what I that's the way I want it to be and I think every man because it's really what it comes down to if, if we can't if we can't make a difference in our children's lives yeah and you know I uh, I, I want to point out either way you're making a difference in their are. life yes yeah. good or bad positive or negative that's truth you know um Amy, one thing I saw many years ago was ministers and pastors who sacrificed the church for the, or sacrificed their family for the church. In 1980, mid-80s in Norfolk, Virginia. You're talking about my world being rocked, but the challenge to be a good dad, a good husband. All of this was put in front of being a good pastor. Was an elder in the church who invited me to lunch. And we went to lunch he was a very successful businessman. He's 93 years old today. Lives in Norfolk, Virginia. He said, do I, can I have permission to speak into your life? This is an elder. I'm a young pastor. I said, yes, sir. I give you permission. He says, I've been watching those two little boys of yours. He said, they're neat, neat boys. He says, um, I want to say something to you. I hope you can receive this. He says, take care of them. Spend time with them. Be, the, be a dad. Be a father. You know, don't allow the church to dominate you so much mm -hmm. that you lose your kids. But here's what rocked my world. He said, I've been here 36 years. He said, I don't know how long you're going to be our pastor. It's not the issue. But if your children serve the Lord and support your ministry, it'll be the first pastoral family who's done that in 36 years. Wow. He has been in this church for 36 years of several pastors whose children did not serve God. That was a God moment in my life that as a young husband and a young dad, because the boys were small then, that I said, I'm not going to let that happen. Yeah. And I think anybody will tell you I have faithfully served the Lord and faithfully served the church. But I've made it a point to look after my family and take care of my family. And I, I, I teach men, you've got to do that, guys. But it's got to be, it can't be a regiment. It's got to be your heart. It's got to be what you understand is a part of who you are and that your family is very, very important to you. You know, love is a... Uh 
I would say more of a natural thing for women than it is for men. It's that emotional side. It's an emotional side, which is why the Bible instructs women, honor your husbands, and it tells the husbands, love your your wife. wife. It's because those aren't our strong suits on, you know, we have to work at that. But, you know, I would really want to encourage men to 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 work at that you yeah i know it's risky to to love someone but i'm telling you what i don't care how rotten you are your kid loves you oh yes i don't care if you haven't even been in your kid's life for years your kid loves you all they want is your approval they love you you cannot reach out to them and they're not going to respond and if they do respond in a not good way it's okay it's the first time they're hurt and they're lashing out but it doesn't mean that they don't want you correct and i and i totally agree i totally agree with that because a part of that of that that love that you're that you're referencing is a is a love that's the same it's there where there's failure and it's there where it's triumph or it's there when it's lost and it's there when it's a win that's right it's that's that's that that's that's the love of god that's That's right that's the love that we it's one of the ways you know god set up the family unit Mm -hmm. to show us about his kingdom yes his his love for us yes right Mm -hmm. and that's why it is that way with children however old you are and your parents yes and i like way you say that however old you are that's right because you know my uh, oldest grandson he's in college station now going to college and university and he wrote me the other I don't know, it's my birthday or something. And he said, Papa, I don't know anybody as busy as you are, but you still always have time for us. And, you know, I don't, I think there's daddies sitting out there. We're talking about ministry because that's who we are. Mm -hmm. But there's daddies out there that feel like they just don't have time because they're so busy working. They got, there's so much on their plate. There's a lot required of our men today financially. I, you know, one of the worst things I've done is go to a car lot and look at the cost of a new car. You know, I go to the hospital after, it, you know, oh, my goodness. And then, you know, go to the grocery store. I never went to the grocery store. And now when I'm by myself, I have to go to the grocery store, you know. And so you go in there and you look. And I looked the other day, I looked at a steak and I went, oh, my gosh. No wonder we don't eat very many of those. $30? And so, but, you know, there's a lot on the men. But there's still a way to take time for your children and for your grandchildren. And I know uh, I have three. He's not my son. He's my son-in-law. But I I told him the other day in a note. No, he's your son by law. Yeah. (laughs) And I told him, I said, I said, listen, I'm not trying to take your daddy's place. But I I couldn't love you anymore if you were my blood son. Oh, that's beautiful. but I, every once in a while, I'll send them a text or I'll send them an email. And I said, boys, you just don't know how darn proud I am of you. Yes. You know, and to watch them 
react to that. You know, not all of them, not all three of them are the kind of guys that's going to send me back an email or right. a text. But when I see each other, you know, mm -hmm. and I hear little comments that you do not. I think this one thing's run for the wall taught me, Bill. Mm -hmm. um, Amy, when I first went out there, I was looking for those soldiers to affirm me. Wrong. You know, I'd go out there and I would try to do something for them. And, I, I you Make know, I'm used to good. speaking in front of a congregation. And if they go, yeah, I'm going, OK, they're affirming me, you know. Well, I was looking for that same response out of those veterans. And finally, about the third or fourth, fifth day, I don't know, in the beginning of it, the thought, the Holy Spirit just put the high. They're not you're not here for them to affirm you. Right. You're here to serve them. And I think so many times fathers are waiting for that affirming coming mm -hmm. from their wife, mm -hmm. coming from their children, their grandchildren. I have grandchildren. I, I had one in the, my 14 year old. Carolyn and I went to watch him play basketball and they come down the him and a couple of his buddies come down the hallway. Hey, Papa, you know, yeah, well, I, hey. Come over here. And I got over and I put my arm around him. And I said, you know, he, he was in no mood for me to put no. an arm around him. Not in front of his buddies. No. You know, but that does not mean. Now, I have to find other ways of doing it. Yeah. You know, and the, I seen him Sunday night. I won't get to see him again for about 30 days. And I saw him. He edged over next to me. You know, he's, Papa, love you. Yeah. You know, and, and that's. We've got to find a way. There's times he's rejecting it, but there's times that he, in his way. Yeah. And I think there's so many men out there that just need to relax and well, understand. Well, and remember. Remember how you were yeah. when you were that age. Well, that's what I told I said, I remember. I didn't want anybody hugging me in front of my buddies. Right. You know, and <laughs> I, th I just think some dads need to relax and realize that you do this because it's the right thing to do. And don't look for them to affirm you. Um, men have got to step up and be men. Yes. Some of the times that means that your wife is not going to respond to you in a positive way. Yeah. That don't mean you quit doing it. Yeah. It's, it's just she's going through something. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would just encourage men to find those little bitty ways. You know, uh, every once in a while, my wife's all of a sudden started drinking coffee. Yeah. What come up with that? Now she drinks. Now, if it was whiskey, I might be concerned. <laughs> Coffee, not so much. <laughs> but she she's got to have creamer. I mean, it's a third creamer and two thirds coffee. You First know. First it's coffee, then it's creamer. Yeah. <laughs> but I, every once in a while, just to take that little cup of coffee, you know, and find little ways to, and then you will become the priest of the home. Mm -hmm. It comes back to that whole circle. If you want to be the leader. Learn to serve. Jesus taught us that. Yes. All right. Serve. You have brought this up now three or four times where it's either the priest or serving. So I want to point out something. And that is the priest served. Yes. A servant. Every priest. That's what they did. Exactly. And the high priest, not only did he serve. But, boy, he had to be mighty careful. Yes. Mighty careful because he was the one who was in closer proximity. Yes. yes. To danger. You know? Yeah. And I accept That's that. And I, re I know what you're saying, Amy. 
But there are so many of the men that when they say they're the priest of the home, they automatically start to elevate themselves. But what yeah. I'm and, saying and is that we've got to get them to serving. The priest served. Absolutely. You are the priest of your home, but it's service. Yes, it is. Yes. It's service. Yes. And that's so sometimes hard for me. You know, I, and yes. I hate to point this out, but it, it doesn't really matter where we are, who we're talking to, whether it's veterans, whether it's a church group, whether it's on a television station. Our job isn't to be affirmed ever. That's right. Our job is always to help people grow close to the Lord. Yes. To help people know that God went to a lot of trouble to form you in your mother's womb, to knit you together just so, and it's for a purpose. Yes, that's right. Exactly right. And somehow we got to get over all of that and well, be that servant. And I think, you know, I, I, I think we're making I think we're making progress. I really do. I'm yeah. very excited about, you know, what I'm seeing, but I can only speak, you know, from my tribe, you know, from what's going on in, in. Well, at least it's group, good the, news the, coming from with. your tribe. Yeah. But, right. Yeah. But, uh, but the, it doesn't mean that uh, we're anywhere close to where I think we should be. But I can tell you we're, we're a lot further than we were 12 12 years ago. Okay, yeah. so I want to ask you a yeah. question. Since you have like 1,700 churches, mm -hmm. one of the, the things that I've noted throughout my life is that when you're submitting yourself to a teacher, a pastor, anybody, whatever's going on with him, it's going to trickle down. Yes. I've seen churches, entire congregations destroyed because the pastor thought it might be a good idea to commit adultery with the associate pastor's yeah. wife. There was so much adultery in that church, it was just ridiculous. So my question is, how could the fact that what you, that wonderful man speaking into your life, telling you, hey, you know, you might wanna spend some time with your kids. As a pastor, he's telling you that. Yes. How many other pastors need someone to speak that into their life? Uh, I, I think it's a high percentage. Yeah. In fact, could I just speak to that for just a minute? Because I know there are, I, I just want to just share with the audience right now uh, to pastors. I, I really feel like I should say something to pastors who are watching the show. You, you're listening. We're just being very transparent today, very open. But I, I really sense that and feel in my heart, there are some pastors. The, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now because you know that you have, you, you've sacrificed your family for the ministry. And I'm, and you've you've had good ministry and you're you're having a good ministry but it's out of order i i just want to share that it's out of order uh to pastors there are some pastors that are listening right now that please understand that your family is vital and very important to your ministry 
and please do not allow the church structure or the institution or whatever cause you to lose the most important thing that God has put into your life. And I really feel like that there's a fear over pastors right now. And I would just like to speak against that fear. I break that fear off of you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would be set free today that the fear of losing your position or losing a comfortable lifestyle or losing a paycheck, whatever, or maybe losing status, it's not worth it if you lose your family. And also to men who are watching this, you're watching the show, you, you're listening. And I just want to encourage you as a man, Holy Spirit's dealing with you that you need, you need to step up and you need to begin to become what God really is calling you to be. I just speak encouragement into your life today that you'll just begin to step up. It'll start off as baby steps. It's not going to happen overnight. But I encourage you to step up and be determined to be the leader, the man, that godly husband, that godly father, that model, that coach that God is calling you to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Really just sense that strong in there. So There is hope. Yes. There, there is, is hope. And we we can get this thing done by the power of the Lord, Holy Spirit working in our life. Yeah. Uh, he will empower these men to step forward. You know, in my heart of hearts, just because of my own life experience, I know that when the Lord had that man speak into your life just because he also had you with a week-long camp with kids where one kid yeah. you still remember after all these years yeah. it was the Lord speaking into your life this needs to change yeah this needs to change and I'm showing you that this needs to change and it's not just for you it's for the entire body that's Amen. right. Amen. Yes. You, you know, I just sat through seven hours uh, in the fall of instruction on mass incarceration with a ministry out of Ohio. And uh, this guy got on there and he was talking about how when he, he was raised in a bad part of town and drugs and gangs. And he said, I, to survive, I joined a gang, you know, and ended up in prison when I got out. You know, he had a fatherless home. When he got out, he said, I was fortunate because my mama let me come back to live. There was a guy that was um, uh, coming into the prisons that had a business, and he let me go to work for him. And he said, I found a church that would accept me. But he said, you know, it wasn't just the acceptance. He said, there was men in that house that would invite me to their home for Sunday lunch. And he said it was the first time I'd ever sat around a home table with a man at the head. 
Oh my goodness. And he said, I didn't know that men were supposed to pray over their family. Oh. He said, I didn't know that men were supposed to interact with their children. And he said, I had no clue how to do that. There was nobody role modeled that for me. And he said, sitting at that table, I would just be amazed watching the interaction going on. And he said, now I have a strong family unit. I would just encourage some of the men out there to invite some of these fatherless fathers, fatherless young men into their home and just let them sit. You know, my son-in-law has a, a mother that loves him. She's the sweetest thing. She had lunch with us last Sunday. Mm -hmm. His father and her separated. He ended up alone in his junior year in Amarillo. He didn't want to leave his friends. And so his father went this way and his mother went this way. And he was alone. And my daughter started dating him. And he would come to our house. And when my daughter, she wanted her senior year to have a little bit of fun and didn't want to have be tied down to one boy. And she broke up with him. He called me and he says, Gary, I don't have anybody. And I told my secretary, I said, clear my calendar. I'm gone. And I jumped in the truck, and we spent the whole day just riding around. My daughter would go out to eat with her friends, and he'd wait until her car would pull out of the driveway, and he'd come over. And Carolyn <laughs> and him and I would have lunch, you know. And it, But if he, he's now one of the strong, strongest dads. Mm -hmm. he is an inc but his father left him. Yeah. You know, but somebody had a role model. And bringing him into the house now, I mean, tell you, uh, I'll put him up against any daddy. But the point I'm trying to make is that somebody's got to take these guys in. Yes. Mm -hmm. we've, we have to, yes, take care of our families. And we've got to build our families. But I'm still about the kingdom, Bill. Yes. I know you are, too. Yes. Amy, I know you are about the kingdom. But we have to help other people build their families, too. Yes. I mean, that's quite a profound statement that the guy didn't even know he'd never been at a table where the father prayed over people mm. never seen it and you know what his you know what his next statement was he said i know many of you sitting out there going that's dangerous to bring an ex-con into your home well, to sit around the table that. and he said yeah. i didn't i've not read in the bible anywhere we're supposed to be safe right you know <laughs> there is risk in this thing yeah but I think that it teaches their children. My, my children tell me all the time, my daughter told me, she said, Daddy, I learned so much about life. I brought a little Spanish lady with her seven kids into our home, and all their stuff was in a, what do you call it, a pillowcase. Mm -hmm. That's all they had. And she said, you brought them in. They lived with us for a few days until we could find other hope for them. She said, I found a heart. See, a lot of the kids inside these homes that are structured have never been exposed to this other world. Right. Am I making sense, Bill? Yes, you're making it. Yeah. Yes. Amy, you hear yes. me? Mm -hmm. and, and we've got to somehow get those people into this home, but it doesn't do your kids damage. It does your kids good. And that's, that's, that's right. you know, I know we're about out of time in this, this, on this program. But Good thing we opted for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> We've, we have got to get this message out. Yes. And we, you know, I, I sat with a, a two families last Sunday, or two Sundays ago, and they were raised in terrible home environments. 
And they said, if people like you hadn't stood in front of us, and we had been some had spoken into their life, and said, if you hadn't have been there to speak into us and give us hope and direction, we wouldn't have the home unit we have today. Yes. So there's hope. Mm-hmm. We just got to get outside in our own little comforts. It's taken M25 and the instructions of Matthew 25 into our homes. Yes. And realizing that, you know what? Sometimes... It's not going out there. Sometimes it's bringing it in. Yes. And, and giving people a place of security. Yes. A place of just freedom to breathe. Yeah. To know that they're loved. Look, look. Scripture tells us if we don't have love, we got nothing. nothing. That's right. We got nothing. And as the representatives of the great high king who is nothing but love. Yes. If we can't show that to people on a one-on-one basis, we got a problem. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we got a problem. Guys, we have just over one minute left in this. I'm really excited that we opted for two hours because I really want to talk a little bit more about the men's ministry next hour and what how that is working, what you're doing to help them. And I know there's a lot of guys out there in the audience that are wanting to hear that too. We didn't talk about Disaster Relief USA at all. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but this, this is really great. I've enjoyed this, this hour. This is yes. really great. Thank you for having us. Bringing yes. this, oh no, thank you for coming. You guys, yeah. you're just awesome. You know, the people who do programming, recorded here at GLC. There's such a blessing. And I want everybody out there to realize that. There's such a blessing. I hear you all the time thanking us for, for providing you a platform. But I want you to realize that it takes time, a lot of time. You're paying your own expenses to get down here. And they're even bringing in guests. So, no, we owe you a debt of gratitude. You owe us nothing. But you know what? what's great? We're all Team Jesus. Amen. We're going we're gonna to win this deal. <laughs> yes. Okay, don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey. Amen. I'm going to run rest. <laughs> okay, welcome back. We almost didn't do this because we started talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am super, super excited about Everything we talked about the last hour, which was the men's ministry, and I don't want to move away from that yet. Because I asked you a question off camera. All right. So how are we getting the, the, the importance of the father truly being the father to his home across not just to the, the sheeple, but to the pastors? How are we going to accomplish that? Well, Amy, um, you know, you, you've asked a great, first of all, it's a great question, but I will tell you, coming from the standpoint of a leader, it's a very difficult question in some respects. Uh, you know, in, in, in working with men's ministries, I, I'm a denominational leader, so let me start here to kind of 
build a foundation for what I want to lead into. So I'm a denominational leader. And so in our, in our organization, we have about 1,700 churches across the United States, have a presence in most states. And uh, so people say, well, what does that mean? Well, I carry some responsibility as a leader. First of all, I'm viewed, number one, as a, as a visionary. Number two, I'm viewed as someone who is resourceful, that if there are resources that are needed, I'm viewed as a trainer if training is needed. But bottom line is, I'm supposed to be, quote unquote, don't consider myself that, quote unquote, the expert that where everything that we need if we're going to have viable ministries to men going on in every church in our organization. Now, let me just say, I would, I would love to, I would like to know today that that is true. I'm really not sure if we have uh, what I call a real viable ministry to men going on. I'm not sure we have it going on in 50% of our churches. Now that's, I'm just going to, I feel I can make that statement and be uh, pretty close. Now, through the studies that I that I have conducted through the years on how to have a ministry to men, first of all, that uh, can get off to a great start. Secondly, can be sustained on a regular month, week after week, month after month mm-hmm. basis, and help them to see the big picture right? for what God wants to do with men, how he wants to equip men, how he wants to empower men. Uh, He wants, you know, he just wants to teach us, Holy Spirit wants to teach us so much about what it really means to be a man and uh, how that impacts many different aspects. Our our role at church, our role in the home, our role in the marriage, our role as a father, and and now our role as grandparents, you know, as, as, a, as, as a grandfather. And one of the things that is discouraging sometimes is that efforts to have a strong ministry to men in many churches is often short-lived. It doesn't last. And I've, through the years, have tried to figure that out. Why? You know, why? And one of the top reasons, and we can, I think this is where we might want to go for a minute. One of the top reasons is that most men will say, well, you know, our pastor really doesn't support us. Now, that's what I hear as a leader, because you have to understand, I'm dealing with all these leaders right. across the organization. Right. And I'm, I'm trying to help them through mentoring and through uh, coaching and things like that. Well, why do you, could, what do you, what do you see as some of the factors of why men's ministries is not being really sustained in the church? And I can tell you, always close to the top is we just don't really feel like our pastor's on board with us. You know, it could be many times that that pastor doesn't feel like he's qualified 
to help these men be men because he himself needs help. I think um, I, I, I will not even argue that. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think you've opened up something there that has a lot of truth uh, uh, to it. You know, uh, Amy, when you study, uh, like for instance, let's, let's talk about men's addiction to pornography. Let's just use that as a good example. Okay. It is staggering in some of the latest research uh, statistics that I have, you know, I have several uh, uh, ministries that I've received information, data from, mm -hmm. and they are now saying that it is up between 30, it's better than 30%, probably closer to 40% of pastors in the pulpit on a ongoing mm -hmm. week after week mm -hmm. who struggle with porn. That's amazing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Now, when you're a, when you are a men's director and you're 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 trying to help all of these congregations and all of that, that rocks that rocks your world. And you know, I have worked with pastors. I have uh, helped pastors who came out and said, "Hey, I just want you to know." Until I get my life right, I'm not going to be able to lead anybody. Exactly. Not so much just lead men. Shouldn't even be leading this church. Yeah. You know, like that. So I think, I, I think from that standpoint, that just gives support to what you have, what you have surfaced there is that. So maybe we need to rethink that then. Yeah. Um, with encouraging the men where they're saying, we're, well, we don't really think that the pastor's supporting us. Instead of looking at the pastor as, as someone to help them get things done or, you know, to keep this thing going, l start looking at him like, you know what? He's a man too. He's got issues. He's a man. Yeah. He's got issues. And encourage the pastor to come be a part of it, not as the pastor, not as the leader, but as a brother in the Lord yes. who needs support. Because you know, they need support and they don't get it. They're afraid they're gonna lose their job. That's right. They're gonna lose everything if people find out what's going on with them. Yeah. And we're, we, we love to put people on a pedestal so that yeah. we can knock it out from underneath them. Yeah. And we got to stop doing yeah. that with our pastors. I'm going to yield to Gary because you were mentioning something that I want to follow up with her. Well, I was just going to say that what you were to identify before we went on air was going to share that my, our pastor back home, where I pastored for so long, Easter Sunday's the biggest day of, sure. for the church. And that's a no brainer. Yeah. And so, at, but at eight o'clock in the morning, we met as nights in the park and served communion with each other. And our pastor had all of those duties waiting on him, but he was one of the brothers. Yes, that's right. And he he wasn't there as the head pen; he was there as a brother taken to that communion. And I looked at him; I knew the stress he was under, and yet he took time. And so, Amy, you're right. It's, they don't need to show up, and I don't know that. I think Bill is in harmony with that. We don't need them to carry the pressure of it, no. but we need them to be there. 
You know, here now watch what we've just done on this. And to be real with the other guys. To be real, and he does. He does. But look what we've done here. We've talked about take care of your families. Don't get over-obligated. Now we're asking them to be a part of men's ministry, to be supportive. And if, they're, if they attend the men's ministries, then they'll probably already attend the motorcycle ministry. They ought to probably attend the primetimer ministry. They ought to probably, and then so what he has to do, he's sitting over there trying to figure out, who am I going to tick off and who am I not going right. to tick off? I don't have time for one more thing. Right. And so we just have to be careful that when we're speaking to them, that we don't lose cognates of that we do want them to take care sure. of their family. But if they could only understand right. walking in that room, you know. It's the power of presence. It's it, it's mm-hmm. it. Walking in that room and just being there. Um, that man served with me for 30 years and he saw me. I made it a priority. Anytime men was something was going on with men, I was there. Yeah. Now I may not attend all of the other ministries, but when it was men, because See, I believe I understand the fact that that fatherless generation is what makes us, uh, the way we address it, is what makes us have pure religion. Mm-hmm. James one twenty seven mm-hmm. says that pure and undefiled religion is to take care of the widow, the orphan, then keep the world out. Yes. And my contention has been is that we are constantly working on this one and we forgot these two. You know, and if I'm busy taking care of other people, taking care of my family and taking care of other people, I don't have time to mess with the world. The world will take care of itself. We focus so much on pornography. Mm -hmm. We get so much teaching on how to deal with it. And one of the first things I learned when you're driving a car, where does the wheel go? Where your head's looking. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're focusing, <laughs> we're focusing on pornography. Let's just use that yeah. that one. We're focusing. You got to get out of pornography. You got to get out of pornography. Got to get out of pornography. And that wheel just runs us right into the ditch. Yes. If I'm driving that vehicle and I'm focused, I'm going to advance the kingdom. I'm going to help people. I'm going to mm-hmm. serve people. I'm going to serve my family. I'm going to keep my job up. I mean, you follow what I'm saying? Yes. If I'm doing that, pornography will take care of itself. I don't have time for it. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying we shouldn't teach on it, but I'm saying there should be an understanding of that that whole concept. I mean, this book, this Bible, I just bought it. It's a tremendous Bible. It's called a cultural Bible. And it tells you the culture of the time that the Scripture was written. And I went back here, and these are just texts that I sat down one day and started writing on what God expects us to do in the realm of social justice, in the realm of treating people fairly and and being that person. And so I really believe God's serious about it. Yeah. And um, I think if we can get those men activated and get that pastor to understand his priority is if he can get those men right, then he can, the others will fall in place to a large degree. Well, one of the things that I try to do with men is because I spent so many years as a pastor. I, I as God says, I was one. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's not very good English, but yeah. I was. All right, but uh, I, you know, sometimes you just have to kind of face up. We have a tendency sometimes to put pastors on high pedestals. Absolutely. One thing I've learned about leadership is the higher 
you put the man, the further he has to fall. So we need to think about that. And if it's too high, it's going to be fatal. Yes, yes. it's going to be very fatal. To me, uh, I'm getting ready to make a transition in my life and ministry. I'm going to be moving to another state. And I am going to have a... Uh, I'm going to have a pastor. I mean, this is going to be cool, you know, because my wife and I have always been pastors, always been like that. But now you get to have one. I'm going to have a pastor, we'll have a good pastor, great church that we've already become a part of it, joined it. Our, some, our son and his family are there. But I've been knowing this pastor a long time. And I think the thing that has to happen with men is we have to understand that our pastors are men also. And not that we're trying to identify anything secretive, but look, they're struggling with the same thing we're struggling with. Men are men. The men, men are men. But you know, one thing I have learned is pastors, you know, you, you raised it about, you, you got, are you going to be committed here, 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 here? I'd say for the most part, most pastors struggle with some level of insecurity. Yes, Absolutely. it is real. Look, there's no need of trying to get on some big holy wagon or some big proud moment. Let's just face up to what the truth is. Most pastors struggle with some level of insecurity. There some, most pastors struggle with some level of, of fear, you know, of the future, of what if tomorrow I'm without my pulpit or something like that. That's just real stuff. Uh, I, I participated in a, in a pastoral survey when we were trying to deal with this pastoral support issue, you know, because, and here, here are some of the responses that, that, that came back, why, uh, that we were dealing with pastoral support as far as men's ministries is concerned. And it was, it was uh, pretty cool what some of the responses were. I'm just trying to remember. I, I can remember some of them. Some of them were, uh, I'm afraid I'll have to take it over. Mm -hmm. That was, mm -hmm. that, I can remember that. That was one of the responses. Uh, you know, the other one is, well, uh, it, it, it'll, it'll run short term, and then they're going to all look at me and say, Pastor, what are we going to do? So they just sense that, from this survey, and I, I think it was some great responses mm -hmm. that came from some real honesty and all that. Uh, our approach has got to be different. We can't view the pastor as the reason that we fail or succeed. Either way, it can happen. We've got to view that we desire him to be a part we don't want to put heavy demands on him that he has to be at everything. Right. He needs, we, we respect that he's a busy person, but we want him to feel that as a man, he needs relationship with men. He does. And we need that relationship to exist. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. Yes. Because the deal is, is like, well, you say, well, we don't want him to feel 
like he needs to be at everything. Yeah. But my God, he better be there. Yeah. <laughs> but you're dealing you're dealing with some old wine skins right there that's, that's right. been around a long time. Yeah. And because uh you know pastoral expectation can be flat cruel. Yes, it can. And I'm not taking an opportunity because I'm sitting beside a long-term pastor here. I was a long-term pastor. I'm not taking the opportunity to, you know, get a little point in for us. I'm, I'm just telling you that those expectations are, they, they can be damaging they really can. Because if people were watching last night, yeah. I was sitting with three pastors on that program. It was a repeat. And that's exactly what one of the things that we were talking about yeah. is that we have got to start realizing that pastors are people. And, man, they're under the spotlight all the time. Yes. They're expected to be perfect. Their families are expected to be perfect. And you're expected to do everything right. And there's a problem with this. You know why there's a problem? And I know there's a problem because the church ain't doing too good because there's too many churches that are closing because there's too many pastors that aren't getting the support that they need so that they don't fall victim to the wiles of the enemy. We're not supporting them like we should or this wouldn't be happening. They're not called. A pastor isn't called to do what the church has expected him to do. Well, I think what we getting back to the men's ministry side and what I feel that I've tried to help a lot of our churches with is to help redefine what does pastoral support mean? That is that's the crux right there. What does pastoral support mean? Because and I just tell these guys, if you think that he's going to be at every meeting, every function, get off of that. Let's try to move more relationally, mm-hmm. man to man, mm-hmm. and understand that really what, if you want the room to light up, just let him come in. But let him come in without high demands our high expectations. Just come and be one of us. Come and let's let's let let's let's uh, let's discover together what it means to be an authentic man. Let's yeah. understand mm-hmm. what it means to be a a man's man. You know, and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. So it it it's it's a tough issue to deal with. It really is. And and I'm not sure that we are have still satisfied that area because we've just got too many churches out there, Amy that just have such high expectations on the pastoral office that, you know, they make these damaging mm-hmm. comment. Well, what is he, what do we pay him for? You know, man, we pay him good. Well, good. You ought to pay him more. You know I mean? What I'm saying is we've, we've just got these, it's the expectation part that I have more struggle with than I do working with them, helping them to, um, uh, have something that's strong and viable, but they want to be hung up on some of this old stuff. That you know what's not good about that? It's almost that, that attitude of, well, what do we pay him for? Yeah. Look, I'm going to give you enough money yeah. so that I don't have to consider 
you as my brother. I don't have to consider you as a child of the king. I'm going to pay you enough money where I can sit in judgment on you and just demand and demand and demand. Yeah. What a bad attitude. That can't happen. Well, That's got to yeah. change. It's, uh, it's more than a bad attitude. It's sinful. Uh, those type of attitudes mm. um, need to be under the blood of Jesus. Okay, so we've got men out there that are listening. Yes. And they, they want to be a part of a men's ministry. How can they make it happen without, with, you know, actually giving the pastor an event that he might look forward to instead of be responsible for? You see what I mean? Yes. But how can men start a men's ministry? Well. How does it happen? Well, first of all, it, it, there's several, several things. First of all, there has to be, uh, there has to be the desire to want to have. It, it, it's got to be more than we just want to start meeting. There's got to be that we want to have a strong and effective ministry to men for our church. Right. So whatever pastor or men are le listening today to the mm -hmm. program, and they say, well, we don't have anything for men in our church. Well, it starts with, the fact that, uh, you, you know, you you want to you want to have something that's effective. Uh, secondly, do you like how have many, a curriculum for that? Oh yes, yes, we have a curriculum. We have a handbook. I mean, I have a complete manual that is designed for the local church that is free. Hallelujah! It's free, Amy. Yeah. I can give you a website. Uh, I can give tell it to you, me. All right. All you do is just go to IPHC.org forward slash men. Okay. That's, that's my homepage for men's ministries. It, it's, there's a, uh, we call it the RIM, or Resource Information Manual. It's a free download, a PDF, that uh, is a complete manual that can help a local church who is desiring to start a ministry to men and it will walk them through every stage from how to start, how to sustain, how to put a leadership team together, uh, you know, how to, how to build your men's ministries, ideas for discipleship curriculum, training. It's, it's about... 90 pages and it is a complete resource it's worked very effectively for us for the last 10 12 years in helping the local church we we can do that iphc.org mm -hmm. forward slash men okay reason i want to get put the forward slash men on there is that'll save you two clicks yeah and yeah. i can tell you if if i have to hit make too many clicks i'm not going to go just too challenging. <laughs> so just make sure they put forward slash men. It'll take them directly to the homepage. Bill, yeah. Bill let's, let's back up here just a second. Now, we're talking about men sitting out here watching TV. Yeah. And they're saying, um, we don't have anything in our church. What can we do? What can I do? Would you suggest that that man invite a couple other men to coffee? Yep. Yeah. 
and invite that pastor to coffee. Yeah. Always, whether he comes or not, yeah. he needs to not feel like he's being undermined. No, no, exactly. But, but we get together, we have coffee. If we, here's, here's, here's where I'm going with it, Bill. If we start at it with the program, it becomes a program. It becomes a if program. If we start at it relational, yeah. then it's relationships that build the program. Yeah. Is that a fair that's, thing? Yeah, and that's where, and that was the point where I was going, is that to the guys that are listening, to start what I think, what, what Gary has brought up is what we call the assessment stage. You must assess where you are as far as your men are concerned, whether it starts with two or three men getting together, going to Starbucks, spending time. Hey guys, what do y'all think? We need a ministry to men in our local church, you know. Because see, what I see happening so many times is if I find, I find one guy that's pretty energetic about it, he wants to have a ministry to men he gets the pastor's blessing and start, makes an announcement. We're going to start a ministry to men and a, hardly anybody shows up and he tries it for a couple of months and he gets discouraged and it's all over. And that is what happens many times with starting a ministry to men or even other type of ministries in the church. So Gary's point of having like two or three guys yes. called to very, very guys, important, you know, so that it's because we want that we want we want it to be highly relational and if you here's here's my take on this and this is what i do i teach in the nights is men get together mm -hmm. and start just sharing each other's hearts mm -hmm. i had a bunch of men around me um a few months ago don't let it turn into an old boys club no no but no, no it's got to have a that's where i'm headed we we were sitting around because we were discussing a cause that we were going to attack. You know, we were going to go do something for God. Um, and we were, as we were sitting around talking, you know, all of a sudden I, I said, guys, what do y'all struggle with? It was an organic moment. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that we read. It was just something. What? And did you know every one of the men sitting in that circle identified some insecurity? The pastor's not the only one with insecurity. No. Every man that I have met has some element of insecurity somewhere in them that they're dealing with. I don't know women, but I know men. Yes. And those are the things as they're sitting there discussing them. Then we look for the structure. Yeah. Then we then we find a way to stretch ourselves and to reach out to other men. And that's where it doesn't come the good old boys thing. We have I mean, let's look at the cause of room for the wall. I've gone from eight or 10 men to we'll have 40, I think 43 this year, mm -hmm. you know, that's going to give up two and a half weeks of their life to serve. You know, I think that's the part that's driving the men. If it's just to meet, to learn another lesson, that's what is becoming mm -hmm. crippling to the church. Right. You know, you don't get together for more information. Men are tired of just the information. <laughs> They're wanting something to well, attack. You know, they, they have proven that, like the school system, it's not set up for little boys. It's set up for little girls. Yeah. Girls like to study. Girls like friends. They like to be little social bunnies. Not me so much. But boys aren't like that. That's not really, for the most yeah. part, how they would well, learn. And the other thing that we're facing from, a, from the denominational standpoint is what I call the changing face of men's ministries. And that is bringing completely new dynamic to what we're doing because 
See, when I go to a lot of churches and I see what they call their men's ministries, you know what I'm looking at. I'm looking at an old generation of guys who, this is the way we've always done it. But the bridge to the younger generation, first of all, they're not going to buy into that. They're going to buy in. They're going to come from the standpoint of what is the cause. What is the cause? What is the cause? So that's kind of where, and I'm not just talking about, you know, because we're a, you know, classical Pentecostal group. We fall in line with a lot of other Pentecostal groups, you know, across, the, across America. And they're all facing the same thing that we're facing is uh, th there's, a, there's a transition taking place that we've got to learn to work with it or what men's ministries we have in many of our churches will continue just to be a, a group of the older generation mm -hmm. getting together and basically running a program. But to effectively reach men today because of the younger guys coming along or that if you think you're going to make it without them feeling that there's a cause involved challenge me enough of why I should do this. You know one of the best books I've, I've got on my reading list right now I'm, I'm just through the beginning pages of mm -hmm. it but it's written by a Catholic brother mm -hmm. and, and he's identifying the lack of manhood in the Catholic Church and it's so it's not just one sect of religious no, group of people we're facing this as a nation that's the point I want to try yeah. to make and and this man has done a tremendous job of putting together how it happened historically how did we slip to where we are today and I really believe that uh, it's a cry of a lot of the pastors sitting out there it's a cry of a lot of the men sitting on the yeah. sofas watching this tonight is that there or today whatever it is there you know the, the point is is that there's a lot of men and they're saying the millennials are really eat up with it they want to give their life to something they don't want to mm -hmm. they don't want to give you a dollar and tell you to go do it they want to go do it take the dollar and go do it themselves you yeah. give me a dollar i'll go well yeah. <laughs> and you know right. the, the the thing too amy is is what is starting to happen in our church as far as men's ministries is concerned is kind of what just recently happened because you know we have this ministry called drusa disaster relief usa and then gary leads m25 and we're beginning to learn about run for the wall and all of this what is happening is that we're actually seeing that there there are resources and opportunities that are becoming an asset to the ministry of men that we have many options for men to get involved and to feel that they are part of something they're making a contribution that has uh, that has uh, fulfillment in their lives mm. just like what we experienced in Houston you know a few weeks ago and all of that but uh, you know to me we have passed the, uh, you know, what is called what I what I call uh, PBM. PBM is simply stands for program based ministry. 
we are beyond that day. Because it's boring. It's very boring. Absolutely. Correct. It's very boring. And you wonder why there's no men in the church? TBM. <laughs> so we, 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 what we try to do is transition away from program-based ministry to then we moved into a relational based ministry but now we've got even you we we've you have we've, the cause based we, that we've got to get into this cause based okay, ministry okay so we've got to talk about the drusa yes and that's and, the and lead the, in and the reason why this is this is the reason i was so happy to see you on gary's program yeah because drusa disaster relief usa as has run for the wall mm -hmm has opened up an avenue for, for men to get involved without long-term commitment because they don't know if they can do long-term commitment, right. but to get involved with some kind of ministry. And you know what happens? Their manhood builds up. Those insecurities start going. Everything that they're dealing with starts to be dealt with. Oh. I, I heard, can tell you, yeah. I, I, when I stand in front of knights and I teach them, and I said, listen, this is about causes. Yeah. A knight fights for the king. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, man, I can stand there and say, look, you want to go to Montana and pick up trash for the Native Americans and sleep in a teepee? We're going to give a horse away and the gospel will be shared. You can go on the diaper run. You don't ride a motorcycle, that's fine. You can put together a rally over here. One guy had a rally, brought 90,000 diapers. We had another guy that, we have men 74 years old that drive their, bought the truck, paid 100 grand for the truck, and drives that. it from coast to coast twice. There, there's men, he's, he's, this man's 74 years old. He said, I sit in the church all my life thinking, there's gotta be more than this. And now he's finding a cause. It's okay, you can do room for the wall. You don't like that? We'll go to the Jews with me. We're gonna go ride for the Jews. You know. I mean, I can just list these causes, and I put this letter out, and I'm saying, okay, guys, I don't want to say this is the only thing. Now what I've got is I've got Drusa that I can add to that list. Tell me some other things I can li list. Mm -hmm. You know what I get, Amy? You know what I get, Bill? Mm -hmm. No response. No response. Because nobody else, it seems like in the church world, has identified that we talk the game, that we need that cause, but we've got to develop some causes. For these men, and uh, I believe it's that starting. The, it's starting. It's, it's We're starting. It's it's it, it, it's been it's been changing for the last couple of years. I yeah. saw the transition taking place uh, because men, you know, there's something about involvement, mm -hmm. and involvement has to be addressed in several ways, and that's the reason what run for the wall. Totally last how long? It's it's two and a half weeks. It's two and a half weeks. We did a week deployment where we had nearly sixty volunteers come. We were there just for we were there just for six five six days. Uh, if you do the diaper, and it's only forty eight hours. All right. What I'm saying is, <laughs> you know what's very interesting? What, what, I have to interrupt you here yeah. because you just were used the word deployment. Yeah. And as you were just right before that, I was thinking. You know, guys in the military, especially, and I, I'm talking men, I know there are women in the military yeah. too, but there's a brotherhood among them. 
that men need. Yes. And so you're talking deployment for Drusa. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's a brotherhood. Yeah. We Bikers, it's a brotherhood. Yeah. We talked about that on our program yeah. this when we were videoing it this morning. Yeah. You know, he and I have known each other 25, 30 years. <laughs> But we never, never had the, knew each other. We never had, had nothing in common. We, we never had the relationship until we were deployed together. Right. And we got in the battle zone together. I learned some things about him. <laughs> I guarantee uh, you learned some things about yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've got to talk about Drusa. Yes. I think that he even went with you or something. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, for the time that we have on the show today, uh, I think it'd be great to talk about the Houston Miracle. Okay. And... For the viewers, I think we have a neat video. It's only four minutes long. It's not just for them. I haven't seen it either. Well, can we run, can we run the video? We can. All we right, can. let's run no, the video. Let's do that. Okay. You, you lost everything. You can't save anything. There's nothing you can do. This is a hopeless place when you go through something like this, and people need to know that we care. This is just an incredible ministry, and it helps so many people. We have seven projects to do, and only five days to do it, really. When the storm first hit, we deployed our mobile feeding teams to Webster, Texas, where we served somewhere between 35 and 40,000 hot meals. Les Williams is the director of what's called Run for the Wall. He has a very close relationship with Gary Bird, who serves over our M25 ministries. And I said, well, I work with Drusa explained what it was about and that a hundred percent of the funds would go directly to the individuals and that it was just about purely helping people. There's, there's been a lot of excitement amongst our riders for this mission. I think we signed up probably in excess of 30 people. And that's what's led to this project that we're involved in right now and we are working on houses, helping people who for months now have had nothing on the floor, no sheetrock on the wall, no insulation in the walls. We're here to help people get back in their homes. When we arrived in Houston, we had a house assigned to us, and it was a, it was a pretty large house. When we walked into the house, it was a disaster. So there was a lot of the flooring that had to be taken out, a lot of the flooring had to be replaced. We've, we've done that. Drywall work, obviously, has had to be repaired. Uh, and when we got into the structure of the house, there was a lot of termite rot on the timbers under the house, so we've done a lot of the structural, replaced windows and doors. If it had to do with home construction, we've had to do it in this home. The Harvey flood was very severe. We had four feet of water inside, and we sit very high. You, you lost everything. There's nothing you can do. Somewhere along the line, I get a phone call, run for the wall, and they came in like a troop. I am so grateful for everything they've done. Amazing, I mean, just amazing. They're just real superheroes. It's exciting to me to see so many guys and, and ladies that are out here and the different conditions of these homes and the kinds of stuff our guys are having to do to repair these homes. It's really incredible and I'm so proud of them. These are all men of God that come together for a, a higher purpose and Drusa is a great facilitator for that. It just touches my heart, it touches the hearts of our volunteers that we know that we are being genuinely received and we're making a difference in some people's lives here in Houston, Texas. Believe in yourself. <laughs>
One of the things that happens in situations like this is the sense of hopelessness. And so what we bring as much as anything is we bring hope to these people. I really believe that in the aftermath, we're picking up a lot of people who fall through the cracks. This has made me feel like God is in everything and God is even in these tragedies. And sometimes you think, you know, where is God in all of this? And I can tell you that God is here in Houston. Bill Terry and Gary Bird and that whole bunch of people, they are, they are saviors out here. They are miracle workers every single day. And this effort just became so fruitful as Run for the Wall, M25, men's ministries and Drusa, and even our ministry of boys' ministries and Royal Rangers, we just came in unity and we're out working in houses and it's just beautiful to see what's taking place here in Houston. I would note that that is the same website that you were pointing people to go to to download the men's thing. Yeah. So, Drusa, yes. you're a busy guy. Uh, yeah, but now, now you're, you're, you're talking about a subject very close to my heart. Um, I've, I've had to lead both the men's ministries and disaster relief, serving in both areas. At the same time. At the same time. And the last three years have been very taxing because the level and the uh, the number of disasters taking place in our country today are more, see, it, it just seems they're happening, happening closer and closer together. The other thing is, is that we used to have this thing says, well, if you go out in California, watch out for earthquakes, and if you live in the Midwest, watch out for uh, tornadoes, and if you live in the East, uh, be careful hurricanes. That is no longer true. Everything's changed now. Earthquakes are happening where we never thought they'd happen. It's all a part of just, we're, it, it's, what, it's, it's the time, the season that we're living in. Might and, be fulfillment of scripture. Uh, I think you are correct. I think there's a lot of support there uh, for that. But uh, Disaster Relief USA uh, is a ministry that's been around since the mid-90s. And uh, basically it started with just a desire to feed people. And the man that had the original vision for it out of South Carolina, he's in heaven today. Uh, I know <laughs> I, uh, his vision and his dream has reached a level that I think he saw in the 90s, but the church leadership didn't see it. But it didn't detour him. He took money out of his own pocket. He took the first tractor and trailer, turned it into a commercial kitchen, <laughs> and started going all over the country feeding hot meals. So w as far as our first response is concerned, whenever there's a major disaster, because we're in what's called mass care feeding. Uh, you know, if it's just a small disaster, uh, I can't move trucks and move all that equipment to go and feed 300 meals a day. Right. We, we're in situations where we can feed thousands. Uh, this past year, you know, we had Harvey that hit Houston. <laughs> we had Irma, uh, Irma uh, that hit Florida. Puerto Rico, um, we were west of, no, we were east of Naples, Florida, and the need was so great there that uh, we, on one day we served 7,100 hot meals. We are a hot meal kitchen, and uh, 
All our meals are cooked. There's no pre-cooked. Everything's cooked right there. Gary knows about it's a great day. How, so, how many how many halves or chicken halves or whatever that is they talk about cooking on that grill? We have one grill that we can put 375 chicken quarters on there at one time. We are we are well equipped to produce large numbers, and uh, the Lord has blessed us with a lot of equipment. Our most recent equipment is something that Gary enjoyed. <laughs> we now have a mobile shower trailer that travels with our teams so that when we set up to cook, we set up a place where people can come. You tell them you go take a shower and before we feed yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> they can, you can take a hot shower. But this year, because like the need in Houston, the video that the viewers just, you know, just watched was so great that it was the need was well beyond the feeding time. See, feeding happens early. Once the electricity comes back on, once people can start motoring back, the number of meals starts to go down. But in that first, the, the critical time for mass care feeding is first 10 days of a master, of a, of a what you call a, a major disaster. So we did the deployment in early September, stayed there about 10, 12 days, fed 35 to 40,000 people. But the need in Houston was much, much bigger. And this is where M25, Drusa, Run for the Wall came together. And we saw a need where we could set a time and we would go to Houston, take volunteers, raise the money, and go and help people get back in their homes. Months later. Months later, and listen, we can still, we could go tomorrow. We could go tomorrow and do the same thing we just did because of the thousands and thousands of homeowners. Hundreds of thousands. Are still living right. with nothing on the floor. Their walls are wide open where they had to cut the sheetrock, pull out the old wet insulation, spray for mold, humidif- you know, dehumidifying, all of that. But what little bit of money maybe they got through FEMA, something like that, was not enough. They had no flood insurance. So many families are, are there today. They're living that way. So we had a way to go in there, and I just appreciate Gary Bird and M25, Les Williams run for the wall. It took us a while to pull it together. We had meetings and strategized and planned, had a team on the ground there, but it finally came together, and on the 5th of February, we went to Houston, we were there through the 10th, and we called the project Five Houses in Five Days with the idea we'd put 10 volunteers at each house and give them $10,000 and put a house back together. The beauty is it became nine houses. God just blessed, the money was provided, and we, we, were, we were used to help nine families when you're talking thousands it's like well nine houses doesn't sound like that much let me tell you something to those nine families it's everything everything. yeah Yeah. you know yeah but there was a group that followed us you know they're called um, eight days of hope they went in there with four thousand volunteers and hundreds of thousands of dollars and in eight days they put a thousand families back in their home. Wow. Tremendous ministry going on out there. But 
what Drusa was able to do, I think, you know, I call it the Houston miracle. And it's so if there are men out there who want to be a part yes. of Drusa, how does that happen? We, uh, we actually, first of all, you know, they can always go to our website. It's still the same website, IPHC.org forward slash Drusa. You just have to put that forward <laughs> slash in there. I'm just trying to help people forget the extra clicks. Uh, we, we, we now have a, a way for people who are interested to let us know they're interested in volunteering. We now have a, a volunteer packet that includes a video for becoming a volunteer with Drusa that we can ship out to a pastor or a local church or a group of people or an individual. Cool. Because today you just put it on a little MP4 or whatever that's called, a little thumb drive, <laughs> and mail it to them. And they can see it answers all their mm -hmm. questions, gives them all the information they need, and they can, they can uh, you know, if they have an interest to volunteer, we can work with them. We can help them to get to, because uh, we train in a lot of different areas. You know, they can get they can get to a training, and and uh, we so can the that. training helps overcome some of the the fear or the insecurity. People want to do something, but they're like, I don't know what I don't know what to do. Yeah, the training is is uh, uh, several things. Number one, the first thing is it gives them an overview of what we call Disaster Relief USA. That way. They say, okay, this is what this is about. So now I know what I'm going to get involved in. Mm -hmm. Then we start dealing with volunteers. How do you want to be involved? Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to be involved with our mass care feeding? Now, if you want to be a volunteer for the mass care feeding, that's a, that is a different type of training because you're going to be handling food. You're going to be serving food. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be trained in areas of food handling, sanitation, things like that. And we, we, we have a training, it's a, a food handler's course that we take all our volunteers through and give them the basics of what it means to work around food. And then, and then those that, well, that's, that's not my gig, you know. I, I'm more of a hands-on person. I like to run a, a chainsaw, I like to use a hammer, I like to run a saw. That's, a, that's, that's what we did in, that's what we did in, in Houston. And we have, uh, we have training uh, for that. We, uh, we actually have instruction, uh, instruction like little, I wanna call them manuals, but they're not thick enough to be manuals, but they're instruction pamphlets. Like this is what is involved if you're on a mud out team. Or this is what is involved if you are, you know, on the sheet, hanging sheetrock team and things like that. And, uh, it's so, how to work efficiently together to get the job that's done right, quickly. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the best experience is on the job. Mm -hmm. On the job. And that's what we saw in Houston. I was telling Gary earlier today, it amazed me that all these volunteers came together. <laughs> and we tried our best to find out what their gift was. But, but it was only after they got there that it amazed me the talent that came. Because we needed guys... That, New electrical, that new plumbing, that new roofing, roofing. Who knew, knew who, who knew more than just basic carpentry? Mm -hmm. How to reconstruct that house that you saw in the video? There was one section of that house that had to com the whole foundation had to be completely taken up 
and they put in a new foundation before they could ever start putting the house back together. Oh my goodness. But we had yeah. men there that it's what they do every day. So it was amazing. How does that happen? Yeah, you know, and I think what was awesome is the last morning um, I addressed the crowd and I said, tell me, how many of you have done work this week that you hired done at home? <laughs> 70% of them yeah, yeah. raise their hand and say, yeah, we hire this stuff done. And and yet they so graciously and energetically came down and put their heart into that yes. thing. It, it was amazing. I, when I, we started first talking about it, I knew some of the previous concerns I had with Room for the Wall. And I thought, oh, how is this all going to work out? You know, you're bringing in men's ministries and Drusa and Royal Rangers M25 and, and, and the M25 <laughs> and Run for the Wall. How are you going to make all of this mesh? And here we all came. And the way we set up our teams was we picked out six leaders or t five leaders that we thought might make a good leader. We didn't know. And so we put them in and then... Uh, we'd say, okay, we'll put this Drusa guy here and we'll put this M25 guy. And we just tried to spread them up because we didn't want them to be little clicks. We want them to, you know, mesh. become a team. Mesh, become a team. And it was really neat how that whole thing worked. I don't and there think was, anybody got upset. There was only one guy, one team leader that he tried some things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he caused a little frustration. And, and uh, I just kind of started buddying up next to him. And now he's a member of M25, yeah. and he's going to do Run for the Wall with us. You know, so it's really neat how that whole thing gelled out. Yeah. It, it was it was that truly amazing. That turned into a big mess, except you were doing what you're supposed to do and encouraging him well, and helping. helping. Yeah, Everybody doesn't yeah. know how to do everything. Right. Jerry right. probably doesn't know this, but when I heard that he was a little, little bit of uh, rub there, that's the only project I visited every day. Oh, is that right? I went to that house every day and loved on that guy. Yeah. Just yeah. went every awesome. day said, are you okay? What do you need? Mm -hmm. He said, do you mind running the lows for me and picking? I said, no, sir, that's what I'm here for. And all. It's but a Jesus team. It's a Jesus. It is. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. And all. Yeah. And so, it's just exciting watching how those many people from that many walks of life, mm -hmm. from that many religious backgrounds, it just all of it came together. You know what's really great about it, though, is that so many people, and I don't care if they do go to a church every Sunday, Wednesday, and whatever. It doesn't matter. So many people feel so isolated. Yeah, yeah. This is great on building the brotherhood, Yes. on building Team Jesus. We haven't mentioned it. Now we have one minute. And one of the things that uh, you had mentioned before we ever even started today was how when you get the men involved first, the women come well, with them. It's evident. Look at Houston. That's right. You saw those women with those hammers. Let me tell you. Yeah. They like, worked Girls. hard. They worked hard. So, yeah. you know, I appreciate you guys. I know our audience appreciates you guys. I know mom and dad appreciate you guys and our team appreciate you guys and all that you're doing. And God bless you for, for really, both of you, really reaching out, ministering to men in every way that you yeah. can, ministering to the people and getting everybody involved. 
you know, you're welcome to come back any old time. Yes, I appreciate that. <laughs> so, yeah. I appreciate that. And we we owe you a debt of gratitude there, Gary, for bringing him. Yeah, right? It's Please. just a privilege to get to be here and get to hang out with this guy. Yeah, it's been We're good. Proud. It's been fun. Yep. It's, it's been a, a great two hours with you. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did today. And uh, I'll twist their arms and get them to come back. We love you, and we'll see you again. This program is brought to you exclusively by the love.